Hey everyone, this is Marcel. And this is Isabel, and you are listening to the Top Rank Podcast. For any of you listeners out there, our podcast is an exploratory research platform centered on people of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging their fields as well as the world around them. So today we're going to speak about the fact that American contemporary art institutions are one of the central bastions of elitism and privilege in our culture. Whether it's through the practices of acquisition, um, speculation, and curation, museums and galleries are institutions that are often positioned as the defining arbiters of taste and high culture. And I put that high culture in scare quotes. But it is impossible to separate the workings of the art world and of what these institutions deem valuable with the compounding racist, sexist, and classist politics that run through American society. Just as, you know, a case in point, um, in 2019, researchers at Williams College conducted a survey on the art collections of 18 major American museums. And what they found is quite disturbing, but perhaps sadly, not all that surprising. 85% of the work in these institutions uh, is from white artists, whereas 9% are from Asian artists, 1% are from Black or African American artists, 2% are from Latinx artists, and 1.5% are representing anyone else who doesn't align with those categories. So for artists who identify as Latinx, institutional marginalization in the contemporary art world is particularly acute and brings to bear necessary and urgent questions around (laughs) politics of identity, the marketing of ethnicity, and in general, just the future of art institutions. So to examine and unpack all of these complex dynamics, we're super pleased and excited to be speaking with cultural anthropologist and NYU professor, Dr. Arlene Davila, about her new book, Latinx Art, Artists, Markets, and Politics, coming out from Duke University Press. So thank you so much for being on our show, Arlene. We're so excited to have you. Very excited to be here. So let's just like jump into the first question. So in, in your book, which is amazing, by the way, Um, You argue that Latinx art and artists remain invisible from mainstream art worlds. And so I feel like a good way for us to start this conversation is to get an understanding of what the category of Latinx art means to you and why you've decided to write a book about this topic in the first place. Um, Thank you. I guess I'll start by saying that as someone who has been studying, uh, doing Latinx studies for 20 years, To me, what was surprising was the fact that the category of Latinx art would be an issue because we're so used to talking about Latinx people as voters, consumers, um, all kinds of ways, right? um, uh, But we could not yet, when we thought, when we think about art in that space, we stumbled, right? There didn't seem to be any recognition of Latinx uh, people as creators and creatives or artists. Um, The closest um, that I would... That, that I that I encountered was people uh, referring to Latin American art. So a lot of the Latinx artists would be uh, recognized as Latin American art, um, but but nobody understood Latinx art artists. What, what what would it be to be called a Latinx artist? So to me, this was like very indicative of racism in the field and how it was, it was structured around the invisibility of understanding um, Latinx 
people as artists and creators. And I wanted to know what does that mean and what can we learn about the state of Latinx um, culture and in society at large by, by understanding the visibility that was so taken for granted in the space of the art world. I think even, you know, just to take a step back further, because I realized I don't want to take for granted, you know, any of our, our me and Isabel or even our, or our listeners understanding of, of the category of Latinx. So perhaps before we delve into some of the details that are in your book, how would you define the category Latinx in the first place? Like, who, what what does that category mean and who does it represent? Yeah, it references uh, artists of Latin American background in the United States, right? So um, I, I don't I don't def- I don't define it as a as an aesthetic or as a look or as something definite, but rather in relationship to the groups of individuals who are very diverse, right, as, as across race, class, ethnicity, background, citizenship, status, that we in the United States recognize as Latinx, right? Um, and this, there's a huge debate, right, within that, because it is a category that is a pan-ethnic construction. Um, and we, we have to be very careful about the fact that it is, it is complex, and some people argue it hides more than it reveals, particularly in the ways in which in the mainstream world, anything uh, Latino in particular is often reduced to this kind of whitewash representation that we would assume, right, the kind of Latin look. So uh, by anchoring my book in the Latinx movement, um, I'm speaking to uh, a, a definition of Latinidad that challenges a lot of the mainstreaming of whitewashing Latinidad. Um, And I guess here I'm kind of assuming people may know a little bit of my previous work uh, or dominant representations of how we think of Latinidad in art industries and museums and in television and the media, where we have these dominant ideas of Latin look that to encompass all Latin people that in reality tend to be very whitewashed representations. So so by, by anchoring the book in the Latinx movement, I wanted to represent a, a movement of, of Latinx art um, representation, uh, a, a movement that is claiming representation, but in very different grounds, right? In, in grounds that are, that are highlighting the need to really understand the complexity of Latinidad and that would center the ways in which anti-blackness and the erasure of indigenous and, and black and brown Latinx populations has tended to, to exclude and also produce a very uh, definition of Latinidad that was very exclusive and that is incomplete. So a lot of what I do in the book is not only argue for a, uh, a movement for claiming representation in the art world, but also a movement for challenging racism in the art world but also within the context of Latino institutions by expanding what, what it is that we understand with Latinx, right? So that it is more inclusive of the diversity of populations um, and that do not end up reproducing um, racist ideas about Latinidad that, that reproduce the same kind of racist dynamics that we see in the art world. So for your field work, I mean, as an anthropologist, where um, where did this project lead you in order to study? Like, where did you go? Who did you speak to 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 gain the the insights that, that went into the book? Yeah, I I, I should say that. Um, that the book was also very much inspired. Um, I'm one of those anthropologists that is basically just more, more of an activist in a way. Um, I was really inspiring what I was seeing around me. Um, I had been seen yes, as a New Yorker who uh, 
I started my career 20 years ago in the arts. I have been kind of tiptoeing around the world of art and culture and seeing a lot of the debates, you know, in the 1990s around the Latin boom, for instance, um, but also see how a lot of that conversation was excluding Latinx populations in the context of the United States. Um, and I was very inspired in the past, uh, I would say, five years in a new re renewal of this conversation, particularly um, around um, uh, I'm thinking here of the work of the U.S. Latinx Art Forum, where art historians, scholars uh, began to form a space within the College Art, art Association to claim, hey, um, the College Art Association doesn't have any panels on Latinidad or Latinx studies. Let's let's carve that space. Um, I'm thinking here of the work of the U.S. Latinx Art Forum, um, conversations at the Ford Foundation that were initiated by Teresita Fernandez. Um, there was there was this. I was. A lot of what the work does is follow a lot of that artivist um, activism that was taking that 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 was emerging. Um, so, uh, among scholars, but also among artists, but also the art world, as we all know, is this kind of global thing, right? So, I also had to do um, the whole gallery and the art fair um, route. And I had to go to Art Basel, had never been to Art Basel, and I went three years in a row, um, kind of to understand the different spaces of, that, are, that are involved in the representation and in creating value for contemporary art. I needed to understand not only the spaces that were carving a space for Latinx art, the art, the artists, the activists, the curators that were in conversation with one another collaborated to create spaces about Latin, Latin for Latinx art, but I also needed to understand this kind of mainstream contemporary art world um, um, and how it operated, uh, trying to understand um, the exclusion, right, and, 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 and how normative whiteness was in those spaces and how invisible and, um, and, and, and unrecognized the category of Latinx art was. So, so yes, there was a lot of uh, jumping around, um, and uh, as all as all field workers do. I mean, I'm curious too to hear to know, like, was there any particular field site or experience that you had during over the course of your research on this topic that you found particularly illuminating, or um, Something that kind of comes to your mind when you think about your your experiences doing this research was there like a scene or a place where a lot of these issues kind of came together for you? Um, God, I guess hmm, I would say uh, the art uh, the art fair circuit, right? I had that was new to me. Uh, I mentioned our Basel, for instance, uh, the whiteness of that space, the walls. The carts that sell champagne, the 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 organization of these fairs, um, how much the how much nationalism right figures in the organizations of the, of these fairs, um, and 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 that to me was kind of interesting too. Is that uh, how whiteness and racism is also very much reinforced by politics of nationalism and nationality that are inscribed in these spaces. Um, analyze, recognizing how how important the art fair circuit has become for so many nations to kind of like self brand themselves, um, and 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 how that that all of that had a lot to do with the 
invisibility of diasporic identities like Latinx, right, that are not rooted in a particular nation state, that do not have embassies, that do not have national elites that are promoting their work, um, and how central that kind of nationalism and also nation art branding fair um, conglomerate, right, uh, was in in um, in shaping evaluation for some identities and not others, and in, in particular for national-based artists versus um, uh, U.S. racialized artists. Um, that's why in the book I talk a lot about this, this notion of national privilege um, and how important it is to understand that in the context of the art world that is so organized around, um, you know, triennials and kind of nation-based um, uh, references, right? Definitely. I mean, I think that, that that point about the nationalism and like the branding of contemporary art kind of dovetails well into the next question we have for you, which is, I think that your work in general as a scholar, but particularly in this book, really brings together this idea that, you know, from marketing to the contemporary art market, uh, our commercial culture really plays an important role in how we come to understand what these categories of race, ethnicity, and nationality mean and what their social and political salience are to ourselves and to our society more broadly. And so uh, we were wondering if you could talk a bit more about how you saw these ideas, how you saw these forces coming together um, with respect to Latinx art. So how do you see marketing, economics, and ethnicity intersect in the contemporary art world? Absolutely. I mean, I think the key element here is to realize that value is a social construction. Um, it, the art world kind of, um, there's this kind of naturalization that some artists are good and some artwork is excellent. And of course, that becomes normalized. And the question is, who's making those assessments and how do that, that aesthetic value gets constructed? So a lot of what the, a lot of what I do in the book is try to spell out the analyzing a lot of the institutional spaces where value is created um, and sustained and normalized. Um, and in the case of Latinx art, of course, the big discovery is that there's no institutional spaces to create that value. You don't have the curators, the writers, the institutions. Um, and that's why a lot of the work goes into analyzing and teasing apart the category of Latin American art. Why? Because Latin American arts, especially since the 1990s, has been the dominant reference for anything Latinx. I mean, most people still today do not understand that Latinx and Latin American art are very different things. So I wanted really to explore how Latin American art became so powerful. Of course, marginalized in reference to mainstream contemporary art because it's still a marked category, right, in a world where the most value is given to that which is not named or unmarked, or in other words, closer to whiteness. Nonetheless, when you compare Latin American art versus Latinx art, you will see that what Latin American, what, what made Latin American art have, have its current recognition was a network of national elites, uh, collectors con that constructed that evaluation by creating markets for that. Um, I think the best example of this today is if you go to MoMA and you go to the Latin American wing that was just constructed. I mean, that is Cisneros, you know, the Cisneros collection. You, anybody going to the MoMA 
thinking about the Latin America wing will think that Latin American art is geomet geometric abstraction because Cisneros collection, that's basically what she collected, that's basically what the, the whole wing um, is about. Um, that's kind of, you know, how value gets constructed, you know. Um, and that's kind of really important. I mean, to me, one of the biggest discoveries and most humble discovery was the incredible role that collectors are playing in shaping taste, but also uh, by funding exhibitions, by donating works to uh, museums, by patronizing endowed curators of Latin American art, for instance. All of that has been foundational so that today, um, if you are an art history student, you're more likely to find professors that will be training Latin American art because you have already almost two decades of this kind of infrastructural support uh, for the field. But very few, there's no professors, right? But very few that are training Latinx art and fewer that are actually appointed as full professors in programs that train graduate students in art history. Um, so that's another that's another example of, of the, the importance of really analyzing the intersection between um, my, uh, commercial, the political economy, basically, the political economy of value and how we need to really tease it out. Uh, we oftentimes do not do that. And we just think that that um, value and aesthetics um, is something that just is. Um, and I think that hidden in those evaluations are the inequalities and the race-based inequalities that sustained, right, um, that sustained that, um, that system whereby, um, in the case of Latin American art, few, uh, less than a handful of Latin American elites have shaped a whole conversation and a whole field, and even the way it looks, yet never invested any money on Latinx artists, even though many of them have lived in the United States for decades. So that's one of the examples where you see the elitism and also the racialization and the racism against Latinx populations, which most of these collectors never thought about um, promoting or collecting or, or supporting, right? Yeah, I think that's a really uh, fascinating and important point about the the aesthetic consistency of like the Sutner collection or a lot of these collections of art, which is assigned like an, an ethnic othering status um, is, and that's something that I, that I think about a lot as, as someone who, who worked and still works in the art world, um, that often collectors who are seeking an alternate collection, meaning a collection of something that, that isn't being categorized as a neutral white, will seek the aesthetics of modernism and European art within the other populations whose value they're assessing. So those same um, trends of exactly like abstraction is a perfect example. The trends of the, the, the biggest 20th century aesthetic trends are then sought out in other places and only the art which for one reason or another and that's a whole other conversation of how these things emerge in different places only the art that fits the standard of Absolutely. what to be modernism minimalism post-minimalism conceptual art only the art that fits into those preconceived value verticals is then collected so Absolutely. and then everything else just you know 
I don't know, whatever it's called, craftsmanship, art, artisans. Outsider so, art, whatever that outside, is. Exactly, outsider art. Like, <laughs> I feel like that is a whole other, like how the, how certain aesthetics gain value and meaning in the art world and, and how that relates to people's fantasies about race and, and identity is is another like dimension of this project that I find like extremely interesting. But um, I digress, sorry, I, I can ask the next question. Um, so you point out that some of the curators and artists that you spoke with have described the category of Latinx art as a quote, necessary evil for the advancement of their careers. Um, so what exactly do you mean by this? And how do you think that, you know, these individuals navigate this paradox? Like how do they perceive that paradox? Yeah, I, I think it's not only with Latinx art or any ethnic market category, right? Um, I think uh, probably African-American uh, curators, um, you know, with now with the whole ca larger category of black art or Caribbean art, there's all of these ethnic-based categories that are given to any other, basically, art that doesn't resemble whiteness, you know, which to me is so pathetic, right? And so ridiculous, but that's basically one way in which the white supremacy of the art world is reinscribed is by by naming by those other. So, so yes, it is a, it is a double-edged sword in that, it becomes a space for claiming representation and for um, and for addressing the void, correct? Which wouldn't exist if the art world was, in fact, looked the way it should be, right? So, if we actually uh, the art world and institutions were as represented, looked the way that they they should, and had the the percentages of curators and artists, um, you know, that are uh, Latinx, Afro-Latinx, Indigenous Latinx, Caribbean, Africa, the whole the whole gamut, right? Then you wouldn't really need any categories to call attention to the fact that that they don't exist and that they need to be there. So is that kind of category to address that structural absence, right? That has become so important because if, if it didn't exist, then frankly that that has been that's kind of like central to the category of to, to the battle and, and the project of ethnic studies, right? Ethnic studies exists because of white supremacy, has right. shaped fields of knowledge that are devoid of, right, of um, of any anybody else is othered and therefore excluded. So so it's that kind of way of of how in fact these labels in the art world become the way of claiming representation, but also become the way of ghettoization, ghettoizing. Why? Because they they they're never fully able to challenge the the structural right the structural um, um, context that that reproduces that absence so so I think that that's the the key element here is that um, that and that's not going to the only way to solve this paradox is by actually having a real diverse and, and a real transformation a structural transformation in the art world that's what it would take for this paradox of representation to be solved right because if we did have we did we did have the kind of equitable anti-racist art world then these categories would just be category they would not be they would not have the political um relevance or they wouldn't have the they wouldn't have to do the work they have they're doing right now they just be there just be diversity there would there, there would just be let, let me just rephrase this they they would be recognized but they would not be seen as elements of hierarchical evaluation right and that kind of is the goal right could we be 
Could we imagine an art world where we recognize all the different diversities, you know, and even in the category of, of Latinx art that we began to really think about, wow, there's, you know, Salvadorian artists and this Afro-Latinx and that we recognize those differences without using them to hire with, without hierarchically organizing those differences so that then, oh, well, Cuban artists are hot, but then nobody knows about Salvadorian artists or do you, do you get where I'm going here? Um, right, absolutely. I mean, the, the politics of classification and, you know, the naughty ways in which people and institutions, you know, collaborate and struggle to define and create these categories, you know, as a social and political process, it's it's fascinating to see how it's how it comes to bear in an institution like the contemporary art world, which I would assume and like you guys feel free to like correct me just from my own experience um would try to take maybe like a, a disinterested seemingly post-racial stance to anything related to to race when it comes to their collections or institutional institutional structures but just the way just the same way that the idea of culture and what is value valuable is taken for granted as this kind of self-evident norm. So are, I feel like, these very racial politics that are so closely tied to racial capitalism's just inevitable, Absolutely. you know, exploitative tendencies. And so I guess it, this gets me to thinking about, I mean, I navigate this paradox and these contradictions all the time as someone who the state would classify as Latinx, but I have my own, that's a whole other episode. We don't need to get into, we don't need to get into my own identity struggles, but you talk about in your book, you know, this idea of the category of Latinx and uh, the, the idea of Latinx art itself as a project. And I like that idea of project because it, it, insinuates the idea of something constantly being built and made through, you know, practice and active work. So not something you could take for granted. So you say that Latinx art is a project and not a fixed identity. And so I guess I was wondering if you could talk a bit about what you see to be some of the um, affordances, but also limits of using you know, ethnic and racial groups as the basis for mobilizing for structural changes in institutions like I know that these categories have to be a place where we start from because our society is structured by them but I was just curious to see if you could speak more to this to this paradox I think absolutely I mean the importance of thinking about Latin Latinx as a as a project is exactly that is to never assume or take it for granted or mo most importantly consolidate it around um because this this is this is you know, we are operating in a world, you know, a racist world where Latinidad, before that Hispanic, and then Latino, all these categories have been co-opted, whitewashed, depoliticized, right? Um, and where, where Latinx comes in, I see it as a kind of like intervention, right? An intervention to challenge the previous the previous co-optation of Latinidad into this kind of whitewashedness um, by calling attention to not only uh, matters of gender and sexuality, but also um, of race. And that's kind of what's what's great about this is, is the fact that the way I see Latinx studies today is a project that is demanding that it, it's broken apart. It's demanding that we question it 
constantly. It's not assuming that we know what it is because, you know, just this afternoon, for instance, I was listening to the 10th year anniversary of the Afro-Latinx, Afro-Latino Forum and the, the foundational volume um, the, the Afro-Latino reader. And that's a, such a great example, you know, the conversation that now is 10 years old, right? Um, and that is, you know, so important now. It wasn't 10 years ago. And that's how wonderful it is that now we have that conversation more mature. And you know what? You know, indigeneity, critical indigeneity is around there too, you know? Um, I feel like a lot of the debates around critical indigeneity are very much uh, influenced by by this this conversation around Afro-Latinidad and, and the importance of really centering race in the conversation of, of Latinx populations. So so that's kind of the project of, um, and I, I'm going to here talk about the Latinx project at NYU, sorry, but here it goes. But that's kind of our what we're trying to do at NYU. If you notice a lot of our programming, we're trying to resist on any kind of, you know, like, it's like, oh, this time we're doing this, and then this time we're doing this, you know, and 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 that kind of ability of just uh, and, and of, of being expansive enough that that we could never take for granted what the Latinx project is, right, or what kind of project you could, because it's expansive enough for so many conversations. That's kind of a project of inclusion that we need to be doing um, today for the 21st century. Um, I've always said it that if, if we don't center anti-Blackness and race in the project of Latinidad, you know, indigeneity, you know, might as well just let's get rid of Latinx and Latinidad because it becomes, um, you know, it becomes a medium of, of white supremacy. And that's what's happened in the past. Many projects of Latinidad have become a medium for anchoring this kind of white ideas and white Latin look. And you see that in the art world where they became the ways you know, to, to, for, you know, if you go to any kind of like Latin American art space or Latino art space, like, you know, you will see primarily white Latinos, um, many Latin American artists that are branded as Latino artists. And, you know, you don't really see the kind of diversity of our communities, you know? Um, and, 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 and so I guess that that's really the issue of the project. It's something that needs to be constructed always, that it takes a particular politics to, to do the kind of um, Latinx representations that continually look around and say, who's not, a, who's not here and needs to be? Uh, we're, and, and that's kind of a work. It's a project, right? Um, and, um, but... Um, but I don't think that, I think that um, oftentimes many of our Lat, uh, Latino, Latino institutions in the past um, um, have not done that kind of rigorous self-analyzing an about uh, the diversity of our communities and the exclusion of so many subgroups, you know, uh, Central Americans, for instance, the Afro-Latinx community. So, so when we talk about Latinx project or Latinx as a project, Right, we are talking about this constant um, politics of, um, of of reinvigorating, um, and I always say that the moment that Latinx as a category or as a project doesn't do that work, I will be the first one to say, "Okay, it's time to get rid of it. It's time to think about other labels or other projects that will do that work, that that will echo the kind of anti-racist um, project." In a way that you know that you saw at play in the 1970s when you had the New York and Art Movement, for instance, you know, Chicanx movements, which back then, 
at the core were working class progressive movements that were anti-racist um, and that were more global. A lot of research shows that were more global and more than 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 people have um, appreciated those movements for. So um, I could go on and on um, on that. Um, I, I think everybody should read Joanna Fernandez's latest book on the Young Lords because they've, they've done such a great great job of rescuing what it was, um, how the kind of like molecules, the early molecules of, of, Latin, of Latino kind of movements, you know, um, and, and, and to appreciate how, uh, how, how was a project where race and Afro-Latinidad was centered to that conversation. Um, yet somehow that's really not what has happened in mainstream representations of Latinidad. So, but that's, I think, another conversation, perhaps, Marcel. Got it. Thank you for that. That was really illuminating. I have that book on my wish list, so I'm glad to get this green light. <laughs> Kudos to Joanna Fernandez. Yes. Yeah, I will definitely, I will definitely check it out. But so, in the intro for your book, um, you outline what you call the five myths of Latinx art. Can you take us, you know, quickly through these myths and explain why you are you know, <laughs> and how you're debunking them? Yeah, I, I just felt, you know, frankly, I was amazed about how, again, I was surprised about um, that people didn't know what Latinx studies or Latino was in the context of the art world. To me, it was like, you know, um, one of the biggest revelations. So, yeah, the first one was defining what Latinx art artists are. Um, people kept saying, you know, it's too confusing. It doesn't make sense. Um, and And I basically go through, you know, why it is important, um, particularly to the link Latinx from Latin American art, um, which is its own category. And by the way, it's a category that also needs to be critiqued. And right now, um, I don't want to let listeners thinking that I am making this kind of dichotomy between Latinx as a racialized project versus Latin American art as a whitewash elite project, because in fact, there's a lot of work right now in Latin American um, art art studies that are centering blackness and particularly the ways in which the category of Latin American art, like what you would see at MoMA with the Cisneros, um, has historically erased, right? Um, Afro-Latin Americans, black Latin Americans, indigenous Latin Americans. So so it's 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 more that category is also needs also to be unpacked on its own. But yeah, so I start by defining um, what Latinx art is um, and that is not confusing at all. Um, uh, when you actually think about it in terms of a, uh, of a social project and, and people who have been marginalized in the art world. Um, and then the second myth was this idea that, you know, to me is fascinating uh, to see how much, uh, how everything has changed in the past month, you know, with the Black Lives Movement. And when I wrote this book, the, my number second myth was this idea that there's no place to talk about race in the art world, right? So many people, even people I respect, said, oh, this is not about racism. You, you, you think race is everywhere. That's not really what's going on in the art world. You don't understand the art world. Everybody kept telling me that I did not understand the art world because as an anthropologist, I would see race everywhere. Um, and what's fascinating is to see how, you know, how everywhere, all the major museums, um, the kind of like this conversation is really out there. So I think it's going to be um, an interesting moment. But yeah, I, I talk about how this myth 
is, is one of the reasons why the art world remains so whitewashed, because there's this kind of like polite, polite disposition and silence around discuss, discussing issues of race. Um, and as we know, there's the jobs in the art world are so vulnerable and so unstable. So a lot of that really contributes to silencing around these issues. Um, and I think it is, and, and unfortunately, it's exactly that silence that that makes the contemporary art world remain unchanged. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that Myth 2 is kind of going out, you know, is going out of the, right? It's been thrown away and has been destroyed right now in this movement. Um, what else? Um, oh, my God. You really want me to go through all of them? I can't. Should I continue? Um, you don't have to, but I guess <laughs> if, there's, if there's any highlights you would like to point out as being, I mean, that's obviously a major myth, a really important one. If, if there's any others that you think, you know, someone who might be considering picking up your book, like absolutely, I, I I think there I think there are two, perhaps, you know, um, let me see. I think one one was this idea that art is going to create change, right? That we see this um, often repeated. Um, oh well, art is going to. Um, I think we, it was fascinating how um, there, there is, there is in, at least in the space of the art world, there's a lot of excitement about the potential, the political potential of art um, that doesn't really account for the structural transformations that are needed. So uh, one of the myths is that, is I break through this idea that art can bring about change. What, what really can bring about change is structural transformations where you begin to hire and change um, your institutions, basically, um, kind of going against this kind of symbolic representations that we all know, right? That's how we basically how oftentimes the art world has responded to people of color is by symbolic representations or maybe by having an exhibition of, you know, whatever. Um, so that that I think it's a, it's a key one. Um, and then the the other perhaps myth that I think it's important is this idea that I kept I kept um, hearing that. Um, it's up to Latinx people to build markets for Latinx art. Um, the idea that that it was white people who did white museums, African Americans who built the African American, the strong, you know, um, that so therefore um, uh, uh, market for black art. That therefore Latinx people had to do their own kind of, you know, which is I think a kind of like a mentality that leads to exclusions that that and keeps museums so segregated too, um, forgetting that. Latinx art is American art. You can't have a contemporary art museum without having Latinx artists, just like you can't really have any other institution. Um, and, and to kind of see that when you think about Latinx art, you know, we're talking about, you know, are Latinx artists who should be and are actually being collected by Black collectors. But also you have indigenous um, Latinx artists and you have also... Um, uh, you can think about Latin American art without thinking about Latinx either because it's such a transnational category. So I wanted to kind of like unpack and, and really imagine that really all called that Latinx art is not something to be, uh, Latinx artists are not to be ghettoized in any kind of Latinx art collective collection or archive, but that um, they are, they, they're part of the intersecting histories of so many other categories that we recognized and that therefore those categories could not be complete without actually also including Latinx artists. I mean, not to be a 
I don't know. I have felt for a long, I have really agreed and felt for a long time, but not felt comfortable expressing necessarily the, your point about art's limited potential in creating change. And I think that like, the, that like personal creative expression as a substitute for like polit- for like political action or organizing or um, coalition based like work that involves other people is is a major affliction of the art world. Like I remember, you know, I was working at Art Forum when Trump got elected, and and it was in. I mean, obviously, you know, the art world leans progressive and liberal politically, scare quotes, but. There a major a major reaction that kept being said is that you know artists need to address this, and and I was just thinking at the time like what are artists going to do about it? I mean of course artists should should make work that reflects the times and they will, but there is like a disconnect that like art itself will solve the 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 framework issues of the fabric of our society that like really absolutely change. Especially, especially when you're not paying them, which I think it's like scary, right? This idea that, um, you know, I was talking to an artist right after the COVID, um, you know, when at the early days of the, you know, when we were all at home, nobody could go out. And she was like exhausted getting all these phone calls. Everybody wanted her opinion and her wanted to do studio visits and like, because everybody wanted to be inspired by artists, right? And nobody was paying them. You know, it's like this assumption that that artists that that and, and that's another key element that I, that I try to highlight in the book is that ultimately we're also talking about people's livelihoods, creativity, and work. Um, the contemporary art world is a huge economy, right? So I think it is very important that we also address issues of of cultural equity. Um, when when we talked about the devaluation of entire category of artists, because it we're talking about a devaluation that affects generations onto the future, um, the fact that, for instance, so many Latinx artists um, were devalued, um, and even the canonical figures don't have a market, for instance, and that's and, and those who do uh, know that their work is less valued than white artists, right? Um, there's a lot of that going on in, and um, that, that I try to address in the book to sort of really highlight importance um, also as we think about Latinx art as a category that is recognized. That means that it's also going to be a category that is going to be commercialized. And how do we ensure that in so doing, um, artists themselves have control, um, that artists are not exploited, um, that Latinx entrepreneurs are also um, involved, um, as you know, with African American art, it's primarily white dealers, uh, white gallerists. Um, so there's there's also a level of inequity um, that needs to be addressed in terms of, and, and there are issues of of, of, um, of equity that need to be looked at. So when I say yes, um, art can bring about change. Um, no, we need to really look at the politics, organization of, of the way in which artists, the, the politics and the economy of, of, of those economies uh, to ensure that ultimately um, we will have a diverse world, not so much in terms of what we see, but the way in which the industry itself is organized. Yeah, and I just, I think too, to your point about how as the the idea of Latinx art becomes, you know, more institutionalized and commercialized, I guess 
the project aspect, you know, the, the active you know, rethinking, reshaping critical lens into the politics of how categories are made and the boundaries around which, you know, they're constructed and who they include and exclude. I guess like my hope is that commercialization and like legitimization of that category doesn't, you know, stifle the potential for it to mean many things and not just one thing. I mean, that, that's why um, what I try to do in the book is, is I, I have about 16 plates and I try to um, do a kind of diverse representation of the different work that that artists are doing in any way. Um, and, and kind of that's so important, right? To resist reducing Latinx art to a look or a particular trend. Um, and just simply to say, well, you know, these are Latinx artists, you know, art that is done by very diverse people that we just came up with this category in order to ensure that that they are seen because otherwise they wouldn't be seen. But, 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 but there is more than any kind of particular thing, right? And, and this is a conversation that we've had with only kind of racialized and minoritized artists, um, with African-Americans. Remember the whole debate we had between realism and abstraction, right? And the whole debate about, right, what was more authentic or whatever that now, um, that it was, it was a big debate. Um, I think with Latinx, with Latinx artists, um, because it's not as well known, um, we, we still have particular ideas um, and, coming up that are um but but I think it's very important that we resist any kind of any kind of um impulse to reducing it to a look or to a particular genre and uh um and I I don't know I mean I, I think that the issue of the future is going to be fascinating I have to say that I my only hope is that this book becomes kind of like a um, temperature check right like a gauge to see how things were um, and perhaps what could I, I would love if, if I would love it if in two years from now people would read the book and say, oh, that's so passe. Things are so different. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling that's not going to happen necessarily, but I would love because I, I, I would like things to change. And I would like Latinx artists to be just as mainstream as any other artist. Um, I don't think, I, I, I think for that to happen, we have to end racism in the art world and racism in society. Um, so my hunch is that even though things have, will change, a lot of the dynamics, particularly around um, how these artists are misorganized, um, sorry, misrecognized or branded um, or fetishized or, or, reduced, right, rather than seen in their complexity, which is really what all artists want, want right? Any human being just wants to be seen and, and, and recognized for their complexity. Um, that's actually what all the Latinx artists I spoke to told me. That's all they want. So this label was kind of like, yes, you know, it could help us, but that's nobody wants to just be reduced to a label. So I'm hoping that um, when people read this book two or three years from now, things would have changed. And with that, thank you so much, Arlene, for being on our podcast this evening. It's been truly a pleasure and you shared so many illuminating insights and I can't wait for to read more of your book and for more people to read your book, Latinx Art, um, coming out with Duke University Press. So if people want to keep in touch with you and your work and what you're up to, what's the best way? That.
Well, I guess uh, in Twitter, that's where I am uh, most active, Arlene Davila One, and everyone should follow the Latinx Project in Instagram um, and also follow the Latinx Project in uh, Twitter. Beautiful. All right. Well, with that, that's our episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Love it all. I bring you in America, please.